The Master Tavern Keepers History of the Old World. And welcome back. Is everybody in? I'm about to begin. So, to answer Senior Apprentice Steiner's question as to why the lizardman Marco Colombo encountered on the beach wanted the Skaven captives he had offered up, and for what purpose, we will need to follow the trail of the Skaven race back to their iniquitous beginnings, then onto the shores of Lustria, and then back again to the Old World. Now, as Heinrich told us, the three skaven that the skinks took from the beach were not going to a good end. I've no doubt that they were brutally sacrificed back at the Lizardman's temple city in an attempt to sate the unquenchable thirst for skaven blood that the Lizardman god Sotek possesses. However, if this is the case, then the question must be, why does Sotek thirst for the vitae of the ratkin. In a nutshell, Sotek is the lizardman's serpentine deity of war, vengeance and salvation. He is also the most infamous of the gods of the lizardmen, of both those in Lustria and the Southlands. Unlike the other deities of the lizardmen, he is not one of their dead gods one of the uh, fallen old ones, who hailed from beyond the stars in the time before chaos. Rather, he is a new god, perhaps a uh, hitherto unknown old one, who was called forth by the Lizardmen themselves, in particular the Skinks, during a period of immense suffering in Lustria, a time known by the Lizardmen as the Age of Strife, that lasted for about 1500 years. The tale of the Age of Strife and the rise of Sotek was communicated by some of the slime mage priests of Lustria to the great protector of the hidden city of Zlatlan, the slime mage priest Zwazamul, in the aftermath of the plagues, the massacres, and the subsequent rise of the god. It was Zwazamul who then bade his skink scribes in Zlatlan to commit the tale to writing and through this, the worship of Sotek spread to the skinks of the Southlands. It was also from these writings that our old friend Ibn Jalaba, the Arabian scholar, learnt of the events during his long convalescence in the Lizardman city after he had returned there as an old man. And from Ibn's lips did it come to me. Oh, and uh, don't worry. 
In case you're wondering, I will tell you the rest of his story in the near future. At the time of the 300th cycle of this world, the two moons shall unite and summon forth the rodent god and his evil spawn to deliver plague and pestilence upon the land named Lustria. Anyway, like so many things, the coming of Sotek was prophesied by the ancient old ones. However, the prophecy was unknown beyond the single temple city and its slime mage priests. Now, as Heinrich intimated earlier, the holy prophecies of the Lizardmen were written down on golden plaques, like the ones that Marco Columbo returned to the Skinks on the beach, by the very first slime mage priests in the time after the old ones had disappeared. An event that coincided with the coming of chaos to our world, and was caused by the collapse of the two portals to the stars, known as warp gates, that had been created by the old ones and positioned of the two poles. Rest assured that we shall talk about this tragedy in the near future. But for the moment, know that this event changed the history of our world and has doomed us all. We live on borrowed time, a gift from the elves of Ulthuan that unfortunately is but a determined push away from being taken away from us. The end times will come, it's just a question of when. We can lay the blame for this squarely on the hubris of the old ones, but blame does not change the facts and ultimately serves little purpose in life. Something worth remembering, young neophytes. Anyway, not only did the calamity sweep away the old ones, it also caused the first cohort of slan mage priests, the strongest and most able of their race, to perish. However, before they too faded out of history, they committed all of the teachings, plans and prophecies of the old ones to golden plaques that the surviving lizardmen so treasure. And Marco so very insightfully sought out and returned to them. The particular prophecy concerning the rise of the serpent god was written down on only one single plaque, which was locked away in the golden temple city of Chakwa, in the heart of the continent of Lustria. It foretold that in the age after the coming of chaos, a strange race of ratspawn would invade the lands of Lustria, and that this would herald much suffering and the loss of both many cities, including Chakra itself, and countless lizardmen lives. But before we go any further down that road, I think it is time we addressed one of the big questions of our age. Where did the Skaven come from? Our city is currently being held hostage by the Ratkin, but few in the city can answer this simple question. They are not native to Lustria, I can assure you of that. They appeared much earlier here in the Old World. Alas, their birthplace was right here in Tylea, in the ruined city of Kavzar, 
that lies somewhere to the northeast of us here in Tobaro, within the blighted marches. The whole of the great ocean separates the lizardman and the degenerated spawn of the horned rat. So, please allow me to unravel the mystery of how these two particular ends meet. However, first, let us look at the origin of the foul ratman. As has been mentioned before, it is detailed in our very own Tylean myth, the Doom of Kavzar, also known as the Curse of Thirteen. Now, I found an ancient copy of this while I was searching for some old dwarven treasures for the guildmaster a few years ago, and I have preserved and translated it. I feel that at this juncture, it is probably worth just reading it out in full. I have tried my best to keep the ancient meter, unlike some other translations I have come across. Long ago before the time of woes, men and dwarfs lived in Twain and Troth, beneath the roof of the greatest city, built by old hands, stained with pity. Crafted before the time of manling and long beard, at the dawn of the world before the dark was feared. The city stretched out, both high and low. The men dwelt in the light, and the dwarves below. The dwarves lived and ruled in vast halls of stone, harvesting the rock's fruits from mighty thrones. The manlings reaped the fields of corn, in whose bountiful patchwork the city was born. Both the dwarves and the manlings knew much and plenty, and no plates, tankards, nor bellies were e'er empty. One day the city's men wished to offer their gods praise, thankful to live in such happy, unblemished days. They planned a temple such as the world had never known, in the central square a colossal hall built in stone, and upon its zenith they would set a single cloud-piercing tower, an edifice to the city's nobility, wealth and power. After much planning, and with the help of their long beards, they set about their monumental task with neither foreboding nor fears. Weeks became months and months became years, and still the manlings built, sparing no blood, sweat nor tears. Men grew old and grey in the shadow of the temple's tower, their sons continuing their work through sun, snow and spring flower. And then at last work began on the great spire. Years passed and the tower reached up higher and higher. So tall was it that the work all but came to a stop, as the mandolin struggled to take the stone up to the top. Then one came amongst them in their moment of need. He offered his help to see their work finally complete. He asked for but a single boon of those sons so forlorn, that if granted would see the tower finished before dawn. The elders said unto themselves, what do we have to lose? and asked the grey-clad stranger what boon did he choose. He wished to add his own dedication to the gods on high, and the manlings agreed. How could this go awry? At dusk the stranger entered the unfinished tower, and bade the manlings return at the night's darkest hour. Clouds covered the moons, cloaking the temple in blackness, and the manlings left under a sky quite clear but starless. All over the city, the men fidgeted and impatiently waited, until midnight finally came, the hour he had stated. 
They gathered again in nervous anticipation at the temple square. The wind blew and the clouds parted, and in awe did each man stare. The temple rose, an unbroken lance, stark against the sky. It was pure and white and gleamed cold in the eerie moonlight. At its very peak, a great horned bell hung heavy and still. A dedication to the gods by the stranger's will. But of the stranger himself, there was not a single sign. He had vanished without a trace or parting last line. The manlings rejoiced that their father's father's work was finally done. Exultant that their long-sought day had at last come. But then the great bell began to move and slowly toll. Once, twice, thrice did the sonorous sound roll. Four, five, six times the bell rang out loud, and the torpid pulse of the bronze giant silenced the crowd. Seven, eight, nine, the rolling of the bell grew louder still, and the manlings clutched their ears against the mounting shrill. Ten, eleven, twelve, and then a dreaded thirteen. And at the thirteenth stroke, a great storm was released. High above, the dark circle of Morsleep shone bright, but all else fell ominously silent that night. The manlings fled to their beds with great haste and speed, frightened and puzzled by the portents they'd seen. The next morning they arose to find darkness all around. Brooding storm clouds loomed large and the rain poured down. Black like ash, the rain fell onto cobbled streets, slicking the stones with dark iridescence beneath each man's feet. At first, some of the manlings gave the event no more thought. They merely waited for an end to the downpour in which they were caught. But the wind and rains grew stronger with each passing hour, and thunder struck the heavens and lightning wreathed the high tower. The days stretched into weeks, and still the rain didn't stop. Each night the bell tolled thirteen times, and the city began to rot. The manlings became fearful, their prayers going unheard. The rains fell yet stronger, and black winds slowly swirled. The twisting shrouds left naught but flattened corn in their wake, and the stockpiles the men had stored went rotten where they laid. The manlings went to the dwarves and beseeched them for aid, but the longbeards were unconcerned that other above it still rained. For in the bosom of the earth they were all warm, all dry and all right, leaving the manlings to hide in their dwellings, each quivering with fright. They sent some of their number to travel to faraway lands, but no help came back to them alone, they would have to stand. Some went to the temple to pray and to offer sacrifice, but found the temple doors close to them, locked from the inside. The rain grew head heavier, and hailstones fell from the sky, crushing the last of the crops and causing the livestock to fall and die. The great bell tolled a death knell for that fell-doomed place, and soon dark stones cleft the heavens, eager to lay waste, to the hearths and homes of the men so dastardly maligned, and after many grew sick and died in ways unkind. The newborn young of the manglings too was birth frail bent and twisted, and skulking vermin hidden devoured the dead as they rested. The manlings began to grow hungry, weak and wan and thin. Their elders went to the dwarves again to demand to be let in. They wanted to bring their folk below, and they wanted food. The longbeards grew angry and responded with words cold and crude. The lower workings, too, were flooded, their food eaten by rats. 
There barely remained enough for their kin. They could not help any beyond that. They cast the manlings out of their halls and closed their doors upon the past. And in the ruins of the city above, each day became more deadly than the last. The manlings despaired and called for succor from the foul dark powers and whispered the names of forgotten demon princes in this most desperate hour. But none came and instead the vermin returned larger, unnaturally grown, their slinkling furred shapes infesting every ruin and broken home. They feasted on the fallen and pulled down the frail and weak, and each midnight the bell tolled thirteen over a city cold and bleak. Its sound now seemed brazen and triumphant for the verminous horde, for the manlings lived as hunted creatures and prey for their new rat lords. Ferocious rat packs roamed the streets in search of those who could not fight, killing all they found alone and feeding with glee and spite. At last the desperate manlings took up what weapons still remained and beat upon the dwarves' doors with aching fists bloodied and pained. They threatened that if the longbeards did not open up their doors, then they would drag them out and shave them with their rusted swords. But even to these unforgivable threats, no reply came from within, and the manlings took up wooden beans and broke down the doors to get in. The tunnels were dark and empty, and there were no angry foes. Stealing themselves, the pitiful remnants of the city descended down below. In the ancient hall of kingship, they found the last of the dwarves, now naught but gnawed bones and scrapes of beard and clothes. And there too they saw by their torches, myriad eyes in the dark, each glittering like liquid midnight as the rats closed in on their mark. The manlings stood back to back, fighting for all their lives, but against such implacable ferocity there was no chance that they could survive. Against the countless numbers of the verminous horde, their weapons could do nothing to stop so many fangs and claws. The tide of monstrous rats flowed over them one by one, dragging each down to be torn apart in but a moment lost then gone. Again and again yellow chiseled teeth sank into their soft fleshy meat, the dark tufted mass drowning out their screams with their hideous chittering squeaks. Right, so that was my translation of the old Tylean tale. It is the earliest known record pertaining to what we can extrapolate will become the children of the horned rat. However, the rats in this story are just that large rats, such as still accompany the verminous horde today. I think we have all seen the packs of them patrolling the streets of tomorrow here since the invasion. But what of the ratmen holding the whips that accompany them? These do not feature in the uh, Doom of Kavzar. This is because they had yet to arise. However, they soon did. And the reason, you might ask? Well, the reason was something called Warpstone. I suspect that you have not learned anything about the substance we call Warpstone, or Aben e Kat, as Ibn Jalaba used to call it, at the guild. Dwarves, quite rightly, do not have any truck with the stuff. Apart from Old Mad Alaric, that is. But uh, that's a tale for another day. However, the Skaven most certainly do. You must have noticed the weirdly glowing crystals that some of our city's occupiers carry as trinkets, or others wield as powerful weapons. That is warp stone. 
raw magic from the realm of demons severed from whence it came and crystallized here in our world. We shall have a longer discussion about it when we talk about the Great Catastrophe, but for the origins of the Skaven it is enough to say that it is Warpstone that gave rise to the true Ratman we all so despise. Now, one of the effects of prolonged contact with the hateful stuff is that it causes mutations. Limbs grow in bizarre places, existing body parts change, horns sprout in profusion, and so forth. In the Doom of Kavzar, it stated that dark stones fell from the heavens. I've no doubt that these were meteorites. And I am sure that these must have been chunks of warpstone, parts from the foul moon of Morsleep, which appears to be made of the stuff. It is these that the nascent ratmen fed upon as they overran the city, and it is this that caused them to evolve, although perhaps a better word is devolve, into the hateful Skaven who currently infest our own city and who too overtook lost Kavzar. Like all resources, I reckon that control of it sparked feuding and fighting between the groups of ratmen, and this may have seen the beginnings of their various clans that we now see on our streets, identifiable by their different garb and demeanours. It is also worth remembering that they were still rodents, and I am sure the population must have begun to rapidly rise, as uh, all rodent populations tend to do, despite the fact that they'd eaten all of their foodstuff, the, um, the dwarves and the men of Kavzar. This would have created widespread starvation, which would have increased infighting between the new clans and caused outbreaks of disease. As with the populations of man, as food and living space become scarcer commodities, there is but one solution. Expansion. However, rat men were no match for the tribes of ancient barbaric men and orcs who lived in the surrounding lands after the fall of Kavzar, and so their expansion had only one direction it could go. They would have to create an underground empire. What happened next is a mystery though. Out of nowhere, a catastrophe engulfed the old world and its epicenter was Lost Kavzar. In all the sources, at exactly the same time, disaster after disaster befell the peoples in each and every land. It felt like the whole of the old world was beginning to crumble as a mysterious titanic force exploded out in all directions from the blighted marshes. Huge tidal waves rose up from the ocean and drowned everything in their path. Long dormant volcanoes burst into life and many lands were torn up by geysers, drowned in lava and riven by earthquakes. The spine of the World's Edge Mountains itself began to buckle as groundbreaking power shook its very foundations, and the dwarves in their mountain holds saw their very civilization collapse before their eyes. This was forever after known as the Time of Woes. But what actually happened? An elven mage and scholar of my acquaintance Something of a pariah, truth be told, had a very interesting hypothesis as to what had transpired. Now, the Skaven, no doubt, had considerable quantities of warp stone 
from the fallen meteorites. And it appears as if a class of warpstone spawned sorcerers arose and became prominent amongst the race of Ratman. The elf had made a study of the machines of Deskaven and their makers, and from this work he had come up with an interesting idea that explains the time of woes. He told me that there is a propensity amongst the Skaven race to avoid hard toil, if at all possible, in favour of achieving the same end through sorcery and the use of machines. This proclivity has been at the heart of some of their greatest achievements, but also their worst disasters. It means they are constantly trying to attempt incredible feats through the most obtuse and arcane means simply to avoid a bit of honest hard work. When it works, it is astounding. When it doesn't, it is inevitably disastrous. The mage suggested that these early Skaven sorcerers may have gathered together a very large amount of warpsbone to power some kind of machine that would either have carved out a network of tunnels for the Ratmen Although, as this would actually take time and a modicum of patience, it is the uh, less likely option. Or, a contraption that would amplify the sorcerer's powers in order to perform some grandiose ritual that would complete the feat in an instant. The, uh, the more likely option. If this was the case, then a vast amount of power would have been required to be built up in the ruins of the city. A process that would have taken weeks. However... Here is the crux of the Elf's idea. The one thing you can rely on Skaven technology is its unreliability. It only needed a minor problem to occur in the diabolical devices spinning wheels, whirling gears, or any of its plethora of parts to cause the entire endeavour to fail in the most spectacular and horrendous fashion. Can you guess which occurred? Here is a hint. Nothing remains of Lost Kavzar now. Where it once stood is a series of collapsed caverns, tunnels and trenches littered with blackened and shattered debris. Although, uh, what lies within these is a mystery. Anyway, the elf mage suggested that if the Ratmer's machine had gone awry, then the current state of the lands there is exactly what you would expect in the aftermath of such a disaster. The elf thought that it would uh, have released a tidal wave of raw, magical energy that would have burned its way through the underground chambers of the city and then expanded out like a toxic, burning poison, devastating the very foundations of the world with its malevolent power. In the immediate area, tunnels would have collapsed, buildings would have been shaken to pieces and fallen where they stood, and both the city and the surrounding land would have caved in on themselves and, in the eons after, created the blighted marshes that we now know today. This event occurred around 1600 years before the start of the Imperial Calendar, by the way. Uh, now, immediately after, it appears that the Skaven race began a great migration from their birthplace and from there they began to stretch out across the entire world. This may have been a natural response to the catastrophe, or perhaps it was directed by the race's ruling class of sorcerers. Um, I cannot say. 
Now, prior to this point in history, tales of rat men are but recorded in a few ancient Tylean scrolls. However, after the disaster, stories of rat men slowly begin to crop up all over the world. And if you plot a timeline for when each of these tales took place, you find this. The earliest can be found near to the rumoured location of Kavsar, just across the sea from us here in Tobaro. But from there, we find mention of the Ratkin all across the Old World. Then, later, down into the Badlands, and after that, in the Far East and the Southlands. But not Lustria. At least not for a considerable amount of time afterwards. Now, during my time amongst the Tuareg of the desert in Araby, I heard a tale of a clan of ratmen who once, long ago, stalked the desert. The original name of the clan that found themselves in those arid lands, now this was about uh, 1,420 years before the imperial calendar, at least by my calculations. Anyway, the name of that clan has been forgotten. But what the world now calls them is very well known to us, especially here in Tabaro. They were the forebears of clan pestilence. The human tribes of the desert harangued and hunted the vermis interlopers, and the skaven survivors of these attacks fled underground. Here, far below the sands, they found mysterious tunnels. Known about by the Tuareg, but a taboo to enter. It is these that would eventually lead the ratmen down beneath the great ocean and across the globe to Lustria and the Lizardmen. And this is where we will turn our attention next. Right then, young neophytes, my tankard is dry, and I refuse to go on any further until I get a refill. Who would like the honour?